Lonely song, the songs for you. The dictionary defines esoteric as intended for or likely to be understood by only a small number of people with a specialized knowledge or interest. Now, to a lot of people, this sounds snooty. This sounds exclusive, like a special club. And already, right off the bat, their self-love is offended and they start to have negative emotions and they start to treat esoteric ideas negatively, which is a very dangerous thing, not for the esoteric ideas because it doesn't matter to them. It's like throwing a ball against a brick wall, a little rubber ball against a brick wall. You can throw a ball against a brick wall for a long time. The brick wall is not going to be affected at all. Esoteric ideas are like that, except that they'll never be affected in themselves. Here, in our realm where we live, they will be affected because we will pollute them, poison them, we'll turn them from C influences to B influences, and then eventually, and sometimes it doesn't take very long, we'll turn them from B influences to A influences almost immediately. Being negative about esoteric ideas is a way to turn them from B influences to A influences instantaneously. And it's a way to ensure that they will never, ever be able to work in you. As long as you stay negative about them, they will not be able to do anything. It's just like a seed. As long as it stays in its little seed container and never gets planted in the ground, it's never going to do what it's supposed to do. Esoteric ideas are the same way. Being negative about them keeps them in their little seed envelope. And it can even spoil the seed envelope. Usually, the people who are annoyed by this and find it snooty are people who are self-satisfied. People who are well-educated, people who think well of themselves, people who do well in life, people who are self-satisfied, pure and simple. And people who are self-satisfied have very easily wounded self-love. The Greek origin of esoteric is esoterikos, from esotero, comparative of eso, within, from s or e-i-s, into. Often comparison helps us to define in our minds what it is we're looking at. And when it comes to ideas like esoteric, it's something that needs a comparison. It needs a relief, something that can be set alongside it so that you understand, well, it's, it's this, but it's not that. And what it's not is just as defining as what it is. For example, you're sitting in a chair. Well, how do you know that that's a chair? because everything around it is not chair. What makes it a chair is what isn't a chair, as much as what makes it a chair. So the two things are necessary, and so a comparison is helpful. Exoteric is the opposite of esoteric. Exoteric, especially of a doctrine or mode of speech intended for or likely to be understood by the general public. It's an exoteric literal meaning is the example that the dictionary gives. An exoteric literal meaning and then an esoteric inner teaching. The self-love doesn't like it when we're grouped with the general public. The self-love won't admit this very easily. But if you have been able to get behind it at all, to see it in front of you, to put it in front of you, to look at it at all, then you know that it doesn't like being grouped with the general public. It considers itself special, different, certainly better. And if not better in actuality, better in theory, because you may be able to do that better now. But if I put my mind to it, I could do it better than you in no time at all. That kind of thinking. 
When the self-love is grouped with the general public, it becomes negative, hostile, and aggressive. This is the reason teachers of esoteric truth have needed and have used a cloaking device. You're going to want to know what I mean by a cloaking device. So I'll define that as well. A theoretical or fictional stealth tech that can cause objects such as spaceships or individuals to be partially or wholly invisible to parts of the electromagnetic spectrum. It doesn't mean it disappears. It means that it can't be seen in parts of the electromagnetic spectrum. The electromagnetic spectrum is part of the spectrum that we use to see with our eyes. Actually, it's not our eyes that see. Our eyes are just the organs that gather in the portion of the electromagnetic spectrum that they can detect, and it sends those signals to the brain, and it projects a picture on the back of the brain, like a projection screen, upside down. Your brain turns it right side up and then processes all the information, and then you call that seeing. Let's talk about this cloaking device that esoteric teachers have had to use for thousands and thousands of years. One of the things that it's called is a fable. I'll define all of these for you because everybody thinks they know. We all think we know what someone's talking about until we find out that we didn't. The sad part is we hardly ever find out we didn't know what the other person was talking about. When we do find out, we want to either blame them, feel stupid, blame ourselves, blame them, or pretend it didn't happen. A fable is a short story, typically with animals as characters, conveying a moral. You'll remember Aesop's fables. Aesop loved to tell stories about animals, a turtle and an owl, or a hare and a tortoise. And a lot of these stories are familiar because they have filtered their way into our children's stories. Another cloaking device is the allegory. An allegory is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. You might ask, why would someone need an allegory to illustrate a story? Why would someone need animals as characters to illustrate a story? But if you've been listening, then you know the reason is the self-love. The self-love makes us negative, hostile, and aggressive. And should I also say violent? What it comes down to, if we are pressed, if the self-love is pressed, and if we're identified with it, what it comes down to is violent. Because all negative emotions lead down to violence if they're allowed to run their course. So we have a short story typically with animals as characters conveying a moral, like Aesop's fables. A simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson, an allegory. A story, a poem, or a picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political one. Why would it be necessary to hide a moral or political meaning? In our day and age, we know now that if you don't hide your politics, you could get in trouble. Not only in America, but especially in other parts of the world. Right now, for example, in the news is a guy from Colorado who is in prison in Iran, according to the Iranians, because he was evangelizing. So trying to turn Muslims into Christians. I don't know if you've ever been around any Muslims or not, but they're bent on turning everyone into Muslims. So when you turn the tables on them and you turn it the other way, they really get annoyed. And so annoyed that they've thrown this guy in prison. He's been in there, I don't know how long now, but they're torturing him psychologically and physically, trying to get him to give up Christianity and become a Muslim. The State Department's working supposedly to get him out, and perhaps they will. But my point is not that. That's just what happens in this world. That's what we do when the self-love is involved. 
That is the negativity, the hostility, the aggression, and the violence that I was talking about. When our self-love is offended or bruised or brushed or touched or pricked in any way or abraded. And of course, the moral issue, the, the whole religious thing turns into a moral issue. So the political issue is if you're a communist, you're in trouble. There's that. So there's the moral issue and the political issue. And that's why parable is used as a cloaking device to hide those things so that it can be taken two ways. In other words, you've got a way out. If you've been following along with our Evening Talks podcasts, you're becoming familiar with the parables that are found in the Gospels, as well as their spiritual or psychological meanings. Now, a parable is a story, a poem, or picture that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, typically a moral or political one. But there are also work parables. The fourth way has parables as well. Same reason, a cloaking device. It cloaks it from the part of the mind that becomes negative, hostile, aggressive, and violent so that that part of the mind can't become negative, hostile, aggressive, and violent toward the ideas. There's this work parable that most people are familiar with. It's a common parable about the horse, the carriage, and the driver. Well, this is such a device. This is a cloaking device. It's used to hide something. In our world, in our right-to-know world, we're living in this, the public has a right to know. We have a right to know that we have sunshine laws. We have all these different things that we've made it a law that you can't have closed meetings. So all that that means is now that when they're having closed meetings, they're breaking the law and nobody can do anything about it anyway because nobody knows about it. It's all based on the honor system. The problem is, is there isn't any honor left. It's all been used up with no honor. There's no sense in having an honor system. Or the sense in having an honor system is the same sense there is in having Ten Commandments. You can have the Ten Commandments. It doesn't mean people obey them. What it means is they know when they're wrong. They know what's wrong. And so an honor system is the same thing. It doesn't mean that people use it. It just means that you'll know what's wrong. And that's only in your own life. It's not something you need to be applying to other people. Unfortunately, what we do because of our self-love is we can't apply it to ourselves because our self-love won't allow it. And so we apply it to other people because the self-love loves that. This work parable, the horse, the carriage, and the driver, cloaks its significant meaning with animals, the horse, people, the driver, and a thing, the carriage, and also the reins, as you know, the seat, the box, and so on and so forth. We're compared with the driver. He's sitting drunk in a public house. So here's the driver sitting drunk in a public house, and he's spending all of his money on drink. This is just a story of a drunk. We'd look at it today like, well, there's this drunk taxi cab driver, you know, and he spends all his time in the bar, and he never really goes out and checks on his cab. Kids came along and stole one of the tires, and so his cab's up on blocks, and now somebody came and they took the battery, and so now there's that. And he's not going to be able to make a living as long as he's in there spending what little he has on drink. He's even forgotten that he's even got a cab out there. So the driver in this case, he's forgotten that he even has a horse and a carriage out there. All this is covering something. It's got a deeper meaning, an esoteric meaning, a meaning that's hidden. It's under the surface in the same way that your clothes hide your body. Now, they don't hide it completely because we can still see pretty much the shape of your body through your clothes. But it hides enough so that you can walk around in public and not feel totally demoralized. <laughs> So there's that. Let's look at this. The driver, sitting drunk, is fast asleep in illusions, pleasures, fantasies, and hatreds. The driver is anybody. 
because everybody in this life, to one degree or another, to varying degrees, is fast asleep in illusions, pleasures, fantasies, and hatreds. And when I say hatreds, we think, oh, hatred is this very strong emotion. I disagree. I think that hatred is simply disliking. If you allow disliking to go far enough, it turns into hatred. Just like negative emotions always go down to violence. It's the same thing. In a public house, well, what is the public house? Well, in Great Britain, where this parable was first given, a public house was a bar, a pub. That's why they got the name pub from shortening public house. So it was a pub, a bar. What do you find in a public house? You find the general public. Remember the general public? The self-love doesn't like it when we're grouped with the general public. And what was the general public? That's the exoteric, a mode of speech or a doctrine intended for or likely to be understood by the general public. We know now that the general public doesn't have this specialized knowledge. So it's not a good thing if your self-love wants to boast about this specialized knowledge. It's not a good thing to be grouped with the general public because they don't have this specialized knowledge. So that diminishes the self-love. When the self-love is diminished, you guessed it, it gets negative, hostile, aggressive, and violent. And then there's a need for a cloaking device because the self-love can be brutal, not to itself, but to you and to those around you, especially those that annoy it. The public houses with the general public, those unlikely to understand inner truth. We, the driver, spend all our money on drink, inducing this state of the general public where we don't understand this inner truth. We're always pouring our energies unchecked down to the lowest or most outer level of life. What would that be? That would be pleasures, fantasies, and hatreds. That's what that would be. That's the lowest or most outer level of life. Now, the driver has forgotten that he was created a driver. For those who find it difficult to deal with that, let's put it another way. The driver has forgotten that he was hired a driver or that he became a driver or that he was created a driver. Maybe he was born a driver. He was born into a driver's house and for 10 generations, his family had been drivers and he was expected to be a driver. So he was created to be a driver to take over his father's horse and carriage. He was created a driver. He's forgotten that. He's left the driver's seat, which of course represents control or domination of a situation or circumstances. In this case, control would be of our own selves, our own inner selves, our many eyes, and our life in general. What is life? Life is a flow of events, incoming impressions. And we lose control of that when we get out of the driver's seat. In the public house, you're not in the driver's seat. Where esoteric teachings find us is in the public house. It's in the general public, which means we're in all of that stuff that the general public is in, which is this illusion, this sleep, and the pleasures, the fantasies, and the hatreds. The driver actually has a carriage and a horse awaiting him outside. Outside simply means beyond or above the level of the state to which he is giving way. That's the public house. What does that mean now? the state to which he is giving way. It means you're not a victim. It means life isn't really doing this to you. It means that you are giving way to life's pressure. And life is directing you because you refuse to be in the driver's seat. You refuse to get out of the illusion. You refuse to stop drinking, as it were. Get out of the illusion. Get up and look outside. So our force, our resources, our energies, whatever you choose to call it, are terminating in the public house. 
The way this parable puts it is he's spending all his money in the public house. Well, what good is his money doing? Is he paying the rent? No. Is he feeding the horse? No. Is he repairing the carriage? No. Is he feeding his family? No. Because all of his money is terminating in the public house, in the bar, because he's spending it all on drink. What that means is that all of our resources, all of our force, all of our energies are terminating in life. They're not going any further than the outer life. They should be terminating in the horse and carriage first. Now, it doesn't mean that your energies can't be terminating in life. What the parable is trying to tell you is that your energies, your force, your resources need to terminate first in the inner truth. And then, when there's surplus, let it terminate in life. It's okay to have a drink after you've taken care of business. It's okay to relax after you've taken care of business. You know, it's kind of funny. People have considered that I work pretty hard because after I do this, I go home and I work on editing it and making it available. And that takes, as you know, many hours. And then after that, I can go and do whatever it is. I can go and watch television or play a video game or simply relax or read a book or do anything else that I want to do. My rule is to do this work first. Then, when I have time left over, after I've gotten my work done, then I can relax. Not relax first and then do the work. That doesn't work for me. Now, some people say it does work for them. I haven't noticed that so much. I've noticed that, that some people, if they start to work, they can take a break and then go back to work. That can work for them. But to do all your relaxing and all your entertaining and all that other stuff first, then manana, the disease of manana starts to, you catch it. And the next thing you know, you're going to, well, I'll do it manana. And of course, with manana, it never comes. Tomorrow never comes. It's always tomorrow. So we're always putting it off. So I say, bite the bullet, do it. And then after you're finished, relax and do whatever else you want to do. Then let your surplus forces, energies, time terminate in life. But first, put the lion's share of your resources, your energies, and your force into inner truth. Because that's what really matters. Of course, it doesn't matter to the general public. Because they're fast asleep in illusion, pleasures, fantasies, and hatreds. So we've got most of this handled. The unused portion can pass to the lower termination life events, situations, after we've directed our forces and our energies to terminate in the horse and carriage. And we haven't really defined what the horse and carriage is yet. We know it's a different state outside the public house. We know that there's a state of consciousness outside our ordinary consciousness. We can also see it as above it. Let's do that. Let's see it as outside and above. Let's say that the public house is down in a basement and that he has to go up the steps to get outside to the horse and the carriage. The driver has life turned around. He's got life turned inside out. Life is to be lived from the inside out. But he's living life from the outside in. All of his internal life is really based on what he gets outside in the public house. This is where it gets a little tricky because you've got to be careful that you don't end up outside in the public house, meaning in an outer way, in a surface way. There needs to be a change. For this to happen, the driver must begin slightly to awaken. He's got to somehow stagger to the window and look out at the vision outside the public house. This is where these ideas are introduced to us. The ideas are introduced while we're in the public house. And they don't really sink in because there is so much illusion, so much pleasure-seeking, so much fantasy, so much hatred, so much conniving, so many of the things that we find in life. 
The ideas seem very dim to us, but still we can hear them if they're in a story, a parable, if they're cloaked properly. When the teacher is using a cloaking device and the ideas are being properly cloaked, they can find a place in us. The ideas are designed, once they find a place in us, they settle on the outside of us, they're designed to kind of burrow their way in. This is the amazing thing. They are designed to kind of burrow their way in. Now, it's coming time, now that we've had this rain, when the rain stops and the season gets dry, what you're going to see a lot of is foxtails. And a foxtail is designed to burrow in. It's got a pointy end, and it's almost like a fish hook. Once it gets in, it's really hard to pull out because it opens up and it won't let you pull it out. You'll see plants like this too, where they have little spikes and as the critter that they prey on goes down into it, then it can't climb back up because the little spikes turn in. So it makes it easy to slide in, but very difficult to get out because the little spikes stop it. A foxtail is like that. It's designed to do that so that it can reproduce. And you know that animals get them in their eyes and in their ears and actually will get them in their body and it'll travel through the body and end up in another place and have to be pulled out there. But it can only be pulled out the way it went in. It can't be pulled out backwards. It has to be pulled out forward. So it gets to a place where it can be pulled out. These ideas are similar to that. Because they want to reproduce, they're designed to reproduce in us, they have a way of burrowing in to get inside of us, to get to the internal man. Because there's something inside of us that really craves them. Because they are food to something inside of us. To something outside of us, they're just a funny story or a nice story or a perplexing story or a story that we don't understand or a story that we think we do understand. If you think it's a story you understand, you may go around telling it, telling it, telling it. And the inner man is hearing it, hearing it, hearing it, while the outer man is telling it, telling it, telling it, and not understanding it. There is still the possibility that the inner man can get hold of it. That's a very good thing. So this is the change that needs to happen. We've got to begin to slightly awaken, stagger to the window, look out at the vision outside the public house. And it's these ideas that give us the urge to do that. What if you're not as wonderful as you think you are? Well, that's stupid. But if you hear it in parables and allegories and fables and stories, if it's cloaked long enough and you hear it enough, eventually you begin to think, well, maybe, you know, it could, it could be. You know, maybe. I, I guess I could see myself in that situation. Maybe once I did. What he sees when he looks out at the vision outside the public house will take him many years to comprehend. I got to tell you, this is absolutely the funniest thing about Johnny Come Lately's to the work. And a Johnny-come-lately is somebody who obviously just came lately to these ideas. And I have met hundreds of people who come to these ideas because they're sown in rocky soil. There just isn't a lot of soil there, but there are a lot of rocks. And so they spring up fast, really quickly. Wow, this is great. And they expect fruit today or tomorrow at the latest. Well, look, I got all the ideas. Now I understand all this stuff. And here I am, mature in all this. Now where's all the fruit when there's no fruit? Then they wither. The sun comes out, which is opposition, scorches them, and they're done. I can't tell you how many people I've seen that happen to. It's just astounding. I can only say the majority of people who hear these ideas, that's what happens to them. Then there's another large group of people that hear these ideas. And what happens to them is that the world chokes them out. They just can't let go of their grip on the world. And the world slowly strangles the ideas out of them. Some people, the ideas, they're like water rolls off a duck's back. They just bounce right off them. 
You throw the ideas at them and they just bounce right off them. They'll never get them, at least not in this experience. But when they finally do begin to take root, it takes years, many years, to begin to comprehend what we see when we look at ourselves. It takes a long time to understand what you see when you observe yourself. It will take many more years for him to gain the strength of understanding to leave the public house and begin to walk, think, and act outside it. How hard is that? All your friends are in the public house. Your family's in the public house. Your boss, your employees, they're all in the public house. It's mother, father, sister, brother. They're all in the public house. And what is it that that esoteric teacher said? Unless you hate your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, you can't be my disciple. You can't be discipled. You can't be disciplined. Part of this discipline is coming out of the public house. And that's hard to do because the general public is there, which means 99.9% of the people on earth are there. And for you to come out of that, you're now going against that. And you remember, don't you, what people in the public house think about people who are not part of the general public? They get negative, hostile, aggressive, and violent toward them. That's the reason for the cloaking device. There are two levels represented in this parable, the lower by the public house and the higher by what is outside of the public house. The driver, in order to fulfill his destiny, he's a driver. His destiny is to be in control, to drive, to sit in the box, to take the reins, and to direct the horse where he's supposed to go. He's a driver. In order for him to fulfill his destiny, in order for you to fulfill your destiny, you've got to move from one level to the other. But this takes a long time. It takes a long time to sober up enough to be able to find the steps, to find the door, even to look out the window and see the horse in the carriage and remember that it's yours. You have to have self-observation. You've got to have self-remembering. And now it's going to take a long time for you to start to pull your head out of the illusions, the fantasies, the hatreds. That's not something that happens overnight. Yet, the Johnny-come-latelys all expect it to happen overnight. When it doesn't, off they go to some other teaching, to some easier, softer way. We see what needs to happen. But the process is painful, and the self-love protests. The gradual action of esoteric truth has to work on us. So what is lowest, easiest, most mechanical in us begins to become distasteful. I remember as in my early 20s, I was maybe 21, 22, and I smoked cigarettes. And I remember one day I was standing around with a couple of guys, and I pulled a cigarette out of the pack that I had in my top pocket, and I lit it up. And I took a puff on it, and it tasted horrible. And I took it out of my mouth, put it on the ground, stepped it out, took the cigarettes that were in my pocket, and threw them away. And when I got home, I had a carton, and I threw the carton away. The cigarettes were so distasteful to me that I got rid of them. Now, that doesn't happen to everybody. People who have smoked for years, some people, you, know, you have Shantex, you have Nicoderm, you have patches, you have all these different things to help you to kick the habit. And for me, it was, ew, this tastes awful. And it was over. It was over that day. And I never smoked a cigarette again. Now that's over, well over 40 years ago. And that was it. And I never desired one. And now I smell a cigarette and it's like, ugh, it's still distasteful to me. What I'm saying is that that doesn't happen very often. That's just like a free gift. <laughs> and if you get a free gift, well, good for you. But remember, not everybody does. And don't count on it. But that's how it worked for me. And this other way 
the way that most people have to do it is that the gradual action of esoteric truth has to work on us so that what is lowest, easiest, and most mechanical in us begins to become distasteful. It's only slowly that you develop a distaste for your pouting, that you develop a distaste for your internal considering, that you develop a distaste for your negative reactions to things. And it happens very slowly. You have to stop justifying yourself. You have to see it for what it is. The action of these esoteric ideas can only work on us slowly because there's so much to work on. It should be so easy as throwing a pack of cigarettes away, putting a cigarette out and throwing the pack away. It should be so easy, but it's not. Not anything like that. And let's face it, quitting smoking is not easy for most people. And this is even harder, way harder. And you're not going to find a nicotine patch for this. Well, needless to say, this feels awful. We start to have withdrawal symptoms from being fast asleep in the public house, the illusions and the pleasures and the fantasies and the hatreds. We start to have withdrawal symptoms from that. It's like there are people who need to be hated. Think about it. There are people who deserve to be hated. There are people who are looking to be hated. There are people whose lives are about being hated. They go out of their way to do things so that you will hate them because somehow that satisfies them. And it's very pleasing to the self-love to hate people. So you're hooked right into that. So now you have to give that up? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, it's a service that I'm doing to these people. You see how it works? So it can be very painful. If the taste remains the same, the man remains the same. If the taste of the cigarette had remained the same, I would still be smoking. Well, I don't really know if I would or not, but if the taste remained the same, I would have remained the same. So in this work, they say, if the taste remains the same, the man remains the same. Eventually, as this painful process progresses, the energies that pour unchecked down into the public house are slowly redirected. We stop spending all of our forces, our resources, our energies in life. We start to save a little bit and use it for inner truth. Little by little, often far too little for us, the energies become partly terminated at the level of the horse and the carriage. We stop spending our inheritance in the public house and we begin to feed the horse. We begin to repair the carriage. This is when the esoteric truth begins to become something real instead of imaginary. We begin to see what it's about. You remember I mentioned the Johnny-come-latelys? The work is imaginary for them. I have worked with enough of them, one-on-one, two-on-one, three-on-one in small groups and in large groups, to know that 99.9% of the time it is imaginary just like it was all imaginary in you in the beginning. When I first introduced these ideas to you and you got them, it was all intellectual and you imagined that you had it all. And it only took years of pounding and spaced repetition for you to realize that you weren't anywhere near where you imagined you were. And it only took a couple of falls for you to realize that the higher you thought you climbed, the further you had to fall. The life of the public house begins to be seen as something below you, which in reality it is. But that's only when we begin to see what this work is about, what these ideas are about, what the real esoteric teaching that has been cloaked, that has been hidden from us, what it's really about. And this takes a long time. This is the beginning of dividing in two. It's talked about so much in parables, fables, and allegories. You have Esau and Jacob. You have Romulus and Ramus, you have so many twins and stories of two people, two brothers, the older brother, the younger brother, and all the different things. And it's all these fables and parables and allegories all point to this beginning of dividing in two. 
the lower and the higher sides of us become hazily visible. Slowly, we start to see through the fog of our illusions. We start to see through the fog of the self-love. We start to see through the fog of our pictures of ourselves. And they only become a fog over a long period of time. When we start off, they are blocking all of our vision. Without this, no one can change. If you can't begin to divide in two, it is impossible to change. No spiritual progress is possible, period. There's a higher place of termination where our energies must end up above even the level of the horse in the carriage. We're working on the horse in the carriage. Well, there's a level above the horse in the carriage that we don't even know about yet. Oh, we know about it, but we haven't gotten a glimpse of it. Just like when we were sound asleep in the public house and we staggered to the window. And when we were sound asleep, we didn't even have a glimpse of the horse and carriage. We couldn't even remember we were a driver. But when we finally did remember and then staggered to the window and looked out and saw a horse and carriage, it took forever to understand, oh, that's my horse and carriage. I need to do something about that. When this level is present, that level above, the level of horse and carriage, master appears. Our destiny is then and only then within reach. Well, what does it mean, master appears? It means that the driver has a fare. That's what it means. The driver has a fare. Is the master going to go to the carriage that has a horse that's not hooked up properly? There are no reins from the horse to the carriage. There's no driver sitting on the box of the carriage. That the carriage is in such disrepair, the master doesn't even want to go near it? No. All of that has to be fixed first in order to attract master. Then our destiny, and only then, our destiny is within reach. Before we can hope to reach that level, the driver's got to get on the box of the carriage, take the reins, and see that his brakes work. You light up an instant matter, but part of a cosmic matter.